You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Y'all know y'all like that. Um, <laughs> hi, guys. My name is Ivan E. Devery. And I'm Eric Borlaug. And welcome to another episode of The Parsnip Ship. It's um, actually our last official one of our season. So like, yeah, we made it another season. It's yeah. great. Um, but it's not our like official official. So much, so much smoother than last season. Last season, I think we got out four episodes, and that took us like a year and a half. And this year, we like did it steadily over time, and this is our tenth episode of the season, I think. Yeah, and I think with every episode, we learn something new. Yeah. There's always a new challenge, but things always come together because that's like the beauty and the magic and the fun of theater and what Eric and I do and why we love to interact with our audiences and our awesome musicians and our awesome actors and our awesome sound engineer um, and everyone who helps us every month to put this together. So thank you for, again, being here and for sticking with us, our listeners. We're only going to get better, bigger and better. So for tonight, we are at Cloud City again in Brooklyn, and we are hearing uh, the play Broken by David Myers, and tonight's episode is directed by Dina Epstein, and we are joined by our lovely casts, cast who are going to introduce themselves. I'm Jared Bates. I'll be reading Kevin. I'm Roger Miller. I'll be playing uh, Officer Falco and the stage directions. I'm Stephen Mascott. I'll be reading Dr. Palmer. And we are joined by our lovely musical guest tonight, Andrew Lynch. And Andrew will take it away. The village is starving. They sharpen their knives and dream of the next flesh they'll swallow. But here by my window, Beneath this blood red moon It's more than my belly that's hollow Oh, every bird that flutters And every buck that bounds Is promptly dipped in butter Till no more can be found And when the butcher's block is empty The hunt begins anew for something we can stab and slice and chew and i want to know and is there something i can be without destruction i want to know and is there somewhere i can live that isn't dead Why the hunger that I feel is always growing, oh no. And even as the blood is dripping down my chin, 
They say to never bite the hand that feeds you And no one else has ever made a fuss But something tasted different in tonight's stew And I fear the hand that feeds was one of us And if every beast that lumbers And every man that crawls Is just another number on the butcher's bloody walls Then maybe satisfaction has reached too steep a price And mine will be the next corpse on the ice Cause I wanna know is there something I can eat without the stomach? I want to know And is there some way I can live that isn't death? I want to know And why the hunger that I feel is always growing The blood is covering my hands And now I see the blood that's covering my hands Broken by David Myers a psychiatrist's office in a state-run prison, the present. The dingy office is bleak and institutional. There's a large desk in the center of the room, with a worn leather chair behind it and a plastic chair in front. A framed diploma hangs on the wall, and a small refrigerator sits nearby. At rise, Dr. Palmer stands in the office. He's waiting for someone, or something. Maybe he's pacing. Maybe he's nervous. Something's not right. A knock at the door. After a second, Palmer opens it, calm, collected. Yes? Officer Falco steps inside. He's here. Bring him in. Move. After a moment, Kevin shuffles into the office, wearing handcuffs. His eyes are bloodshot. He looks drugged, angry, and withdrawn all at once. There's a bandage wrapped around his head. I said move! Falco pushes Kevin further into the office, hard, angry. Palmer goes to say something to Falco, then stops himself. The three of them stand there. It's uncomfortable, tense. Palmer turns to Falco. The handcuffs are supposed to be off. What? The handcuffs are supposed to be uh, no off. No one told me that. Take them off, please. That's not a good idea. He's... We'll be fine. I'm not supposed to take them the off. The warden said it was okay. Falco looks at Palmer. The kid just asked to come down here. How could the you warden... You don't believe me? No, I... Do you want me to call him and ask? Falco looks at Palmer, decides not to fight him. Falco goes to Kevin and takes the handcuffs off, hard, like he's trying to hurt him. Kevin rubs his wrists. Sit down. Falco shoves Kevin down onto a chair. Kevin looks around the office. He stares at the framed diploma on the wall, the refrigerator, maybe something on a bookshelf. Palmer watches Kevin. Then he turns to Falco, gestures toward the door. Thank you, officer. Falco looks at both of them. 
This is a bad idea. He raises the handcuffs. I really don't we'll think... We'll be fine. But he's... You'll be outside, right? Falco looks at Palmer, angry, but decides not to fight him. He goes to Kevin, grabs his shoulder. I'm warning you, McFadden, and you try anything. Thank you, officer. Falco gives Palmer a glare, then exits. Palmer closes the door. It's good to see you, Kevin. After last night, I didn't think you'd come see me. But I'm glad you changed your mind. So, would you like something? I have soda. I know they don't let you have that. Palmer goes to the refrigerator and takes out a soda can. Kevin stares at the can, a potential weapon. Palmer holds the can out to him. Here, Kevin. Don't you want it? Kevin. What is it? You don't like soda? Would you mind if I, if I had one? Palmer snaps the can open, starts drinking. You know, they design this stuff to get you addicted. They have scientists. It's all they do. Manipulate the chemicals, the sugar. But you don't drink it. That's smart. I could probably use your help. Get me off this stuff. <clears throat> Dr. Saperstein said you wouldn't talk to him either. Or Dr. Goldfarb. And you wouldn't talk when I came to your cell last night. That's fine. We don't have to talk. But since you asked the guards to bring you down here, I thought that you did want to talk. I know it's been hard. Three weeks, solitary, the isolation, the lack of contact. I I know you probably think that people hate you, but I meant what I said last night. I want to help you, Kevin, to listen. And it's just you and me off the books. They can't use it at your trial or... I'm not even allowed to be doing this. You're not my patient. It's against protocol. But Saperstein, Goldfarb, I wouldn't talk to them either. You don't trust me, I understand. But I'm not like them, Kevin. So why did you come here? Why'd you ask to come see me if you didn't want to talk? Just to get out of solitary? That's fine. We can sit here. Whatever you need. The carbonation. The what? The carbonation. It burns my lips. Really? I've never heard of that. And this was when you were younger, too? Kevin nods. Did that make it hard to fit in with? Don't. You're right. Kevin looks away, now and often. He has trouble making eye contact. You know, uh, I didn't fit in when I was growing up. 
it was fine when I, when I was younger, but then I just couldn't make friends. Never knew why. Is that how you felt? Your mom said that. You talked to my mom? A little. I called her last night to see if she. Why did you call her? I wanted to talk to her about you, about why. What did she say? That she still loves you. Bullshit. She does. She's worried about you. Kevin shakes his head. If the gun had been a few inches to the left. There were assholes. What? That's why I couldn't make friends. People were assholes. Who? Everyone. I know, but who exactly? Friends, girls? Everyone. Oh. I thought you were just exaggerating. You think this is funny? Uh, Of course not. You know, your mom said that was her that was her favorite thing about you growing up, your smile. Don't talk about my mom. I only No, don't talk about my mom. Look, I'm on your side, Kevin. Saperstein, Goldfarb, you're right. They want to let you rot. And you don't? No. Why not? We just lock people up. People who need help, people who are in pain. We throw them in jail, and bad things keep happening, and we never know why. Because people are assholes, that's why. Aren't you listening? You think it's that easy? These guys in here, they kill people for a pair of sneakers. Sneakers. Because they're bored. I mean, who does that? Not you. You didn't just wake up and shoot 17 people, right? You had a reason. Do you want to tell me what it was? When I was 10, I was playing basketball near my house. And these three older kids came and tried to take my ball. I wouldn't give it to them, so one of them punched me in the face. My nose started bleeding. But I still wouldn't give them the ball, so they hit me again. And they dragged me into this hut on the playground. And they took a stick and pulled down my shorts. They raped you. That's not funny. That's what you want, right? Some stupid reason so you can go tell everyone why I did it? So they can go home and sleep at night? Kevin. You want to help me? What a little crap. You come to my cell last night, say you're different. You care about me. And I thought, maybe... But you're just like that. I'm a fucking science experiment to you. A meal ticket so you can write some goddamn book or get rich. No, Fuck you. Kevin stands up. I want to go back. Wait, Kevin, wait. Hey, take me back. A knock at the door. Wait. Kevin stops. Dr. Palmer. Mike, I was like you when I was a kid. Lonely, no friends. Another knock. Dr. Palmer. I built a bomb. I tried to blow up my school. Falco bursts through the doorway, looks at them. What the fuck's going on? Nothing, we're fine. What did he do? Nothing, we just... You're dead, you little shit. That's enough. What? I said that's enough. Don't you know what he did? Why are you... Do I need to call and ask for someone else to come down here? He said he wanted to go back. I heard him. Do you want to go back, Kevin? Kevin stares at Palmer for a moment, then makes a decision and sits back down in the chair. Thank you, officer. Officer Falco backs out of the office. Palmer closes the door. Is it true? What? You tried to blow up your school. Yes. 
Why didn't you? Kevin. Why didn't you go through with it? My dad, he figured it out. He stopped me. He helped me. I can help you, Kevin. My life is over. You came down here, right? I'm talking to you. Why would we hear if we if we thought your life was over? There's more to you than that person who walked into that mall. Palmer tries to take another sip of soda, but it's empty. You mind if I have another one? Palmer goes to the refrigerator, takes out another soda. Those scientists are good. Funny, right? Psychiatrist with an addictive personality. That's why I never did drugs. Thought I'd... I don't do drugs. Never at a party I or... didn't go to parties. Why not? No one invited me. Not even at college. I commuted. It was like a job. Must have been hard to meet people that way. Whatever. All I did was have sex and get drunk. Did that bother you? That you never got invited to parties? You know, something's wrong when I'm a loser because I don't get drunk and have sex with like 20 different girls. That's what everyone said. I couldn't get girls because I didn't go to parties and wait till they got drunk. What about Molly? She went out with you, right? And you didn't meet her that way. Your mom said you really liked her. Must have been hard to find someone who cared about, and then... So, no soda. What do you drink? I don't know. Coffee? I hate coffee. Well, what do you like? Tea? Juice? Juice? What do you think? I'm like five years old? That I'm a pathetic little kid who still drinks juice? I didn't mean it that way. How did you mean it? I was just trying to talk to you. Who the hell drinks juice? I do. Palmer points to the bandage on Kevin's head. Is your head healing okay? It was just a graze, right? I don't know. What do the doctors say? They don't talk to me. They just come in and change the bandage. Well, I bet that you'll uh, heal fast. Everyone I talked to said you're driven. Who's everyone? Your mom, your friends. What friends? Your writing teacher. Mike? Your mom gave me his number. He sent me your stories. They're good. Different than I thought they'd be. Why? I don't know. They're uh, very hopeful. Don't think I'm hopeful? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Have you ever done this before? Talk to someone? Uh, My mom took me once uh, to help me figure out why I was having trouble making friends. And you didn't find it helpful? I mean, he kept asking what I was doing wrong, like it was my fault. And you never went back or tried a different therapist? I mean, it's pathetic. The only way someone will talk to me is if I pay them. Uh, You're not paying me. Someone is. You want some water? I've got some in there. No. So, how did you learn about the carbonation? That you were allergic to it? I was on this field trip for school. We stopped to eat at a mall. They had sparkling water. I thought it was like water. I was sitting next to this girl that I liked, and I took a sip and spit it out all over her. People came up to me for like the rest of the year, and they'd spit their drinks on me. I told my mom, and she figured out it was the carbonation. Is that why you chose a mall? You know, why do you guys think that everything is about our childhood? Did someone else ask you about your childhood? Goldfarb? Saperstein? I thought you didn't talk to them. I didn't. 
but they made me sit there and listen to the same stupid questions about childhood trauma. And Palmer pulls out a piece of paper from his desk. Standardized forms. They think we can fit people onto a piece of paper. Isn't that what you're trying to do? Palmer tears the form in half, tosses it in the trash. Believe me, I don't need some Ivy League asshole. Like you? What? Kevin gestures to the diploma on the wall. You went to Harvard, right? I did. So how come you're here? How come you're not the one writing those forms? Because I care about people. And they don't? I wanted to work with patients. With prisoners? Yes. Why? To help them. Oh, come on. You don't think that I could want to help you? What happened? Lawsuit? One of your patients blow their brains out? Blow up their school? Maybe this was a bad idea. Palmer stands up. Why don't you go back to your cell? Wait. Nice meeting you, Kevin. Palmer starts walking toward the door. Wait. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't mean... Palmer reaches for the doorknob. Why do I always fuck things up? I can't even kill myself, right? Palmer lets go of the door. Why did you come down here, Kevin? I don't know. I, I just want someone to help me. To help you what? Not be so fucked up. That's it? I, I don't know. Why everything is so hard. Why I can't be normal. Why you did it? I, I didn't want to. Then why did you? They made me. I was a good person and they, and who, they just... Who? Who made you? Who made you walk into that mall? Who put the gun in your hand? The first step is to take responsibility for what you've done. To Can accept we talk about something else first? What do you want to talk about? I don't know. Why everything sucks. Is that really why you came to see me, Kevin? I, I don't know. Like, what do you talk about with your friends? Movies? TV? I hate that stuff. Okay, well, what do you like? I don't know. Read, read any good books lately? You, you like books, right? I guess. I don't know, like, do you live around here? I do. In a house or yep, a... a... white picket fence, backyard. How long have you lived there? I don't think we should get into Why that. Why not? I'm just asking you questions. I'm not supposed to share things about my personal life. It's not professional. Oh, so telling me you tried to blow up your school, was that not professional? Well, I've clearly broken one boundary. I probably shouldn't do it again. So, what do you want to talk about? Whatever you like. What, what about the weather? Is it getting warmer out? A little. They won't take me outside. They say it's not safe with the other prisoners. I hate winter. Always wanted to live someplace warm. We've got that in common. I like wearing shorts. I hate pants. That's uh, interesting. They won't let me wear shorts here. But it's always warm. I like that. I, I don't know. Can, can you just like talk about something, please? Palmer opens a drawer and pulls out a stack of papers. About your stories. Do you want to tell me about them? Well, this one. Uh, Blood Bond. What about it? Well, there's two characters. One needs a kidney and his friend's a match. His best friend. Right, his best friend's a match. Uh, but he has blood disease, so the doctors tell him not to donate the kidney. That he could die during the operation. But he does it anyway. He gives the kidney. And he dies. Why did you choose that ending? 
He was his friend. He'd do anything for him. But he was willing to die, right? He took the risk. Why wasn't that enough? I, I don't know. That's what friends do. Okay. What about this one? Um, Sunflower. Mallory runs off with a Wall Street banker, but then she comes back to Calvin. Why did you choose a happy ending here? Who wants to read a story where the girl leaves? That's life. But if she comes back, if she loves him, that can only happen in a story. Is that what you wanted? For Molly to come back? So, um, how did you get started writing? I don't know. Read a lot growing up. That was my favorite thing, and then these stories just started to come to me, and I thought, I, I don't know, I, that if I was a writer, things would be different. How do you mean? That I'd be happy. Were you? No. I mean, I realized pretty soon that wasn't going to happen. Why not? Because I'm me. So why did you keep writing? It was the only thing I liked. I mean, writing was the best and, and the worst thing that happened to me. I found this thing that I loved to do, but then no one would let me do it. Why wouldn't they let you do it? Because they wouldn't take my stuff. Your mom said you spent a lot of time writing, and that must have made it hard to meet people. It was hard because no one liked me. Why didn't they like you? I don't know. Ask Did, did them. you ever try to change how you... Uh, I know you don't feel it was something you did. It wasn't something I did. I was so nice. Even when I was a kid... I used to buy people candy and stuff, and then I went out with, the, with girls, I'd bring them flowers and, and pay for everything, and then they'd go out with these guys who treated them like shit. Did you ever try to see things from their perspective? Like, maybe they thought you were trying too hard? How can you try too hard to be nice to people? Maybe they didn't understand why you were being nice to Because people. I wanted friends. I told them that, and no you one told cared. They just that you wanted friends? I was a good person. I was nice to everyone, and they just they shit all over me. They spit their drinks on you. I was one thing. My whole life, people ignored me. No one ever asked me to do anything. Did you ask them? No. Why not? It's pathetic to go around and, and beg people Maybe to hang out. Maybe they didn't know you wanted to do things with them. Maybe they just... No, they knew. I saw on Facebook and the internet they were always doing things, always asking people to do things, to go to the movies or a restaurant, to go out. And, and, and no one ever asked me. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I've asked myself that my whole life. What's wrong with me? I mean, everyone hates me now. I, I get that. And they'll say that's why they didn't like me before, but it's not. I was normal. I'm, I was a good person. And they just beat me down and, until... Until what? Kevin closes his eyes in impasse. Palmer mulls around the room a bit. Kevin looks at the empty soda can. Maybe he rubs his wrists. Palmer comes back to the desk, starts looking through the stories again. Sunflower. That's a great title. Do you have a favorite story? The Book of Jeb. Which one is that? About the guy like me who kills himself. I don't have that one. Oh. Mike said he sent all of them. I wrote it a few years ago. Maybe I didn't give it to him. How is he like you? Jeb? I don't know. He lived at home. Everything sucked. Were you writing about yourself? Are you a writer? I published a few articles. <laughs> no, I mean a real writer. Stories. Palmer shakes his head. 
a writer always writes about himself. No matter what it's about, the characters, they're always the writer, even the bad ones. But they never see themselves that way. Even if they do something horrible, they always have a reason. Was Jeb a bad person? No, he just, he was a painter. He tried so hard, and it never worked out, and he had no friends, no family. You said he lived at home. With his mom. And that didn't count? I mean, it was just her. And when she died, there'd be no one to... Did he date anyone, like Molly? No. Like Molly, or did Jeb kill other people, too? No. He, he, he just really wanted to be a painter. And then one day, he finally realized it wasn't going to happen, and he looked around, and he had nothing. His whole life was a total waste. So he killed himself. Was he your age? No, he was old. Like 50. <laughs> Why did he wait so long? I don't know. He hoped things would get better. And he was a good guy, too. He worked hard, followed the rules. Jeb or you? Jeb. That was part of the story. That, that you can do everything right, everything you're supposed to, and, and things still don't work out. So how did Jeb commit suicide? He shot himself. At a mall? At the World Series. Wow. That's, um... He ran onto the field. <sighs> I had to cancel the game. Why did he choose such a public place? I don't, I don't know. I just made it up. So everyone would see it? No. So he'd be famous? He wanted to be famous for his painting. But he couldn't write, so maybe this was the next best thing. No. He wanted a way out. And then why didn't he just kill himself? He did. But if he wanted a way out, he could have killed himself right then. So why the World Series? Because he wanted people to see him, to make them pay attention, to make them sorry for what they did? How did your dad stop you? What? For blowing up the school, how did he stop you? He was paying attention. He figured it out. How? He was always there. He, we did things together. He just knew. Why did you choose a bomb? It seemed like the easiest thing. Did you finish it? No. I had the timer and some wires, but... How did you know how to make it? I found the plans online. I mean, on uh, microfilm, on the library, whatever we had back then. Is that why Jeb chose the World Series? So people would... Did Harvard know? That you tried to blow up your school? No. My dad stopped me and... So he stopped you and you were cured? Like, just like that? He took me to therapy every day. He sat with me. He talked to me about why I felt so sad. Why did you? I thought that everyone was against me, that I didn't have any friends or people who cared. But he helped me to see that a lot of that was in my mind, that people loved me, that my dad loved me. Well, that's a pretty big switch, trying to blow up your school to Harvard. It is. Luckily, you had your dad. Did you like it? Harvard? It was OK. Is everyone smart? Not really. I thought of applying, but we couldn't afford it. Your mom said you got a scholarship. To state school. Well, that's still... So why didn't you like it? It was really cold. Couldn't wear shorts. That's it. It was all about grades and making money. No one even cared about the patients. So why'd you stay? It was Harvard. I thought if I was successful, if I was famous, 
Is that how Jeb felt? The things would be different if he was famous? No. I told you he wanted to be a painter, but no one would let him. Why did other people have to let him paint? Why couldn't he just do it himself? He wanted to be a real one, to, to make his living that way. And no one would ever hire him or take his writing. But people took your writing. No, they didn't. Your mom said that a journal accepted your... That was nothing. It was. It was a stupid website, and that was it. One thing so in five years... So had to happen right away? It or... wasn't right away. If you don't get anything in five years, then... But you got something. You got a story published. A lot of people never even get that. No. There are thousands of authors. That's all they have to do. Write. And, and people read their stories and pay them. People make their living that way, not some bullshit thing in their spare time. But no one wanted Jeb's paintings, right? Right. What, what about after the World Series? Did they want them then? That's not why he did it. But he knew it would happen, that he'd finally get that recognition. No, that's not... That's you not... don't think that was part of it? That he killed himself? Everyone would see his paintings, what they missed out on, that, that they'd be sorry for mistreating him, for ignoring him. It was the World Series. You think anyone there ever read a story? I thought he was a painter. He was. <sighs> World Series, huh? Are you a baseball fan? I am. Big one. That was our family thing. Me, my father, my... I loved going to those games. You know, I actually went to the World Series once. Kevin, do you want to ask me about it? Not really. That's how you get to know someone, by talking about what they're interested in, even if you're not interested in yourself. I hate sports. What? You asked me if I wanted to... I know, but that's hurtful. Don't you see that? If I said writing sucks... That's the... not the same. I mean, sports are everything that's wrong with this country. I, I mean, there's horrible things going on in the world. No one even cares. The news is all about football and celebrities and sports. And people are dying. People are suffering. And everyone just wants to watch TV and go online. But didn't you contribute to that suffering by... No. One even reads any more poets, poetry, that's already dead, and, and, and books are, are probably next. The whole country is decaying right before our eyes, and everyone just wants to watch sports and live through these 20-year-olds because their lives are so pointless. And people like me, who care about this stuff, who care about other people, who... We're the losers. We're the ones with no friends. I mean, what kind of fucked up place is that? And you said Jeb didn't have many friends, right? You think maybe that was because he was so angry? That he thought everyone had wronged him somehow? They did. But what if some of them didn't? What if the problem was his perspective, how he saw things? No, that's not what I'm saying. And then why couldn't he make friends? I don't know. But you're the author, right? Can't you get inside his head? Uh, maybe he tried too hard. Like you said, and he was honest. He said what he felt. He wasn't mean to people, but he just, like, he was honest. Did he ever try to change his behavior? All the time. He tried to do, be what people wanted, like upbeat, or, or he wouldn't say what he thought, but it didn't matter. He couldn't fit in. Did Jeb think about hurting anyone else at the World Series? Why would he hurt them? Weren't they responsible for what had happened to him? He didn't even know them. 
but they were part of that society, right? That valued sports, that rejected him, that wouldn't let him paint. So wasn't it their fault? Maybe. So why didn't he do something about it? Because it was wrong. So he knew it was wrong. I, to I told you, he was a good person. He didn't want to hurt them. He didn't want to hurt anyone. But he didn't hurt them, right? Just himself, because he knew it was wrong. Did you know it was wrong? Was this your first job after Harvard? No. What did you do? I know what you're trying to do, Kevin. What? You're trying to deflect attention from... Why can't I ask questions? You keep pushing me and asking me You about... came here to see me. Yeah, well, Kevin stands up. Well, maybe I shouldn't have. Wait. If you're just going to use me... Wait. To... What did you do after Harvard? I had my own practice. Where? California. What, like L.A.? Actually, yes. I thought you wanted to help people. People the, there need help, too. Yeah, like how to, how to spend all their money and get laid. Being rich doesn't make you happy. Bullshit. And then why are we the most depressed country in the world? If being rich makes you happy, then why are so many people here unhappy? I don't know. Because our lives are so good. Because we have time to think about these things. Kevin shakes his head. Would being an author make you happy? A real author? I guess. But you can't buy that, right? I'd have more time to write. I wouldn't have to have some shitty job. Like your job at the phone company. Yeah. But you quit, right? You picked up and quit. You had all day to write. No matter how much money you had, you couldn't be an author unless someone else took your writing. I could have published my own book. So why didn't you do that? Why didn't you go make money and publish your own book? Because then I wouldn't have the time to write. Well, when you were older, you could have... I've, and and what, what if I get to buy a bus tomorrow? Then I would have worked at a shitty job for nothing. I'm a writer. I should be spending my time writing, not selling phones. Not something anyone can do. Then why didn't you keep writing instead of going to the mall? You could have kept writing and trying. It wasn't going to happen. You could have kept writing and gotten better, and maybe in a few years more people would have wanted to look at your... Everyone just thought I was a shitty writer. If everyone keeps rejecting you, that's what it means. And there I was, sending my stuff out over and over. And nothing and else could ever make you happy. You had to be a writer or your life was going to be miserable? Pretty much. And you think that if you were a writer, all your problems would have gone away? That if you had gotten published, if you had made a living at it, that you'd, that you'd still be happy without friends or a family? I would have had them if I... You think you'd have friends because you were a writer? Real friends? Or that someone would love you? Maybe someone would have married you, but they wouldn't have loved you. Not like Molly. Not like you wanted. Don't you think that if you had those things, you would have been happy even if you couldn't write? Is that why you're so happy? What? Your family? Picket fence. Backyard. You have a wife? Kids? I don't think that we should discuss... Why not? There are boundaries here. Really? Like coming to my cell last night and begging me to see you, talking to me while I'm not your patient, telling me you tried to blow up your school. That's enough. You want me to spill my guts out to you, but you're not even... Like, I don't have a family. It's just me. In your big fucking house? Yes. Stop lying I'm to me. I'm not lying to you. I'm alone, Kevin, just like you. Yeah, why? If having friends, having a family, if that's what makes people happy, if that's what matters, then why don't you have that's them? That's not what I... If you're so smart, if everyone likes you, then why couldn't you get married or that's have enough. kids? Why does your life suck? Stop it. What the fuck's wrong with you? I said stop it. A knock at the door. We're fine. Another knock. I said Doctor. we're fine. Palmer gets up, moves around the office.
I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. I wish I had a family like yours. Your mom seems. Do you want something to drink water? It's not carbonated. Palmer goes to the refrigerator, takes out a water, tries to give it to Kevin. Kevin, please, I... Kevin doesn't take the water. Palmer puts it down next to him. You know, your mom, I meant that. She seems... She really loves you, Kevin. I know you think she doesn't, but she does. She said that you wouldn't see her when she tried to visit. Why not? I can see you care about her. Why won't you let her see you? I almost stopped. Before I bought the bullets, I just sat in the car thinking of what it would do to her. She was the best mom. She would have done anything for me. When I was 10, there was this action figure I wanted more than anything. She took me to all the toy stores, but they didn't have it. I cried all night. My dad yelled at me, said he was going to take off his belt. He never did. He just, he just threatened. The next day, when I came home from school, my mom told me to look in my room. She wrapped it with a bow. It wasn't my birthday or anything. She just wanted me to have it. So she went to, she went to like a million stores. Sounds like she really loved you. Yeah, but... But what? I don't know. She, like, babied me. And she made me feel like I could do anything. That If I worked hard, if I was a good person, I would get what I wanted. So I grew up, and I wanted all these things, but... I, so it's her fault? No, I told you. She was the only reason I almost stopped. But you didn't stop. You went into that mall. And, you... and it, it wasn't just her. Everyone said that. If you work hard, if you try hard, you'll get what you want. And they, they never think what's going to happen to all the people who want it and, and try hard and can't get it, who can't be writers or, or fall in love or make money. I mean, that's what everyone says we're supposed to have in movies and TV. You tell people they're only successful if they get all these things, and then you create a, a place where most of them never can. What kind of world is that? Why didn't she see how upset you were, how lonely? She did. Then why didn't she do anything? Why didn't she try to help you more? She did try to help me. She talked to me. She took me to a therapist. She bought me things. She tried to help me make friends. But if she was I, really there, if she was really paying attention, she would have... It didn't matter. Why? But, but because she, she wasn't the one treating me like shit and rejecting me and, and turning me down. She couldn't give me those things no matter but how much she, she tried. But if she was around more, if she would ask... She did ask all the time, and I lied. I told her I was fine. I was happy. That it never hurt anyone. She believed me. I never thought she would, but she did. Every single time. Why? Because she wanted to. She had to. If you knew it was wrong, if your mom loved you, why did you do it? Why didn't you stop yourself in the car anywhere? Why did you come to see me, Kevin? I don't know. You said you wanted me to help you, right? 
Well, the first step is being honest about what happened. It doesn't even have to be to me. But you have to accept that you chose to walk into that mall. I didn't choose to. They made Who made me. you? Who made you walk in the mall? And Haven't you been listening? Everyone. Everyone treated me like shit my whole life. No one cared. No one paid attention. I had nothing. I had fucking nothing. Not one thing. That's all I wanted. One girl, one friend, one story. But you had Molly. You got a story. No, I had nothing, okay? And I did stop myself so many times. But how much shit can keep happening to you until you just can't take it anymore? Is that how you felt? That you couldn't take it anymore? Is that... Knock at the door. Not now. Another knock. I said not now. The door opens and Falco enters. I need to get him to wreck time. Are you kidding me? He's only got half an hour to... Get out! I have to bring him down there or I'm going to get it from the warden. Get the hell out and don't open that door until we're done. You know what? Maybe I should call the warden. This is bullshit. Fine. Either call the warden or get the fuck out of my office. Falco backs away, exits, and closes the door behind him. Is that how you felt? That you couldn't? Did you ever go to Hawaii? I heard it's warm there. I used to ask my mom growing up. She said it was too far. We went to California, though. Disney... Met all the characters, Mickey and Goofy. That was like my favorite memory. Is that why you moved to L.A.? Because it was warm? That was part of it. And I bet you made a lot of money, right? Harvard doctor, L.A. <laughs> That's not why. But you liked it there, right? You were happy? I was. So why'd you leave? Kevin. Your own office, California. Why'd you move to this shithole? I don't know. I... Yes, you do. Kevin, why did you choose jail? Did someone find out? What? That you tried to blow up your school? No, I just wanted to help. There's like a million places to help people before they do this stuff. But if someone found out... No one knew. You tried to blow up your school and no one knew... You're the first person I told, besides my therapist and my, my dad. Really? Palmer nods slightly. Why? Because I thought you'd understand. Because I'd trust you? How do you know I won't tell someone? I don't. Would they fire you? Maybe. Probably. Or maybe they just won't believe me. The psycho. The people in L.A., they were, like you said, spoiled, selfish. I wanted to help people who needed it. Yeah. Like all the deserving people here? You don't think you deserve help? No. Why not? You know why not. You said you were a good person. I was. Before. You can still be a good person. I killed 20 people. How can I still be a good person? Well, you can... Um... Just stop, all right? Are you having nightmares? About what happened? I heard you haven't been sleeping much. Kevin. Your mom said you had trouble sleeping before, when you broke up with Molly, when you were at the phone company. She said you really hated it there. Why? They thought I was a loser. And they were the losers. They, they didn't even get how pointless it was. They were selling phones, and they thought that they were curing cancer or something. And all they talked about was, like, football and sports. They'd go out every night and just talk about... How, how do you know what they talked about? B 
because I was there. I thought no one invited you places. It was work. Why they did had they have to. to? Couldn't it be that they... Uh, and no one would talk to me. I, I, I'd just stand there and people would look at me like I was pathetic. And, and they were pathetic. They were the ones wasting their lives. Why were they wasting their lives? They sell phones. And all they did was go to work, go home, and do it all over again. But isn't that what you wanted, to have a normal life, to have a family? Did not like that. Because you wanted to do something important, right? For everyone to know who you were. It, it, it wasn't just that. I mean, if you didn't fit into their little box. I, I told this guy once that I wanted to be a writer. And he, and he looked at me. I'm, I'll never forget it. The way he smiled, like, <laughs> yeah, right, that's never going to happen. That's just one person. Everyone thought that. Even my mom. I mean, she said my stories were good, but... Well, not everyone can do what they want. Why not? That's not how the system works. Yeah, well, the system is a bullshit. Sometimes things aren't fair. Life is How fair. come someone gets, else gets to be a writer and I can't? Why do I have to do something I hate every day? Because there's only a need for so many writers. Not everyone can... And what happens to everyone else? To everyone who wants to be a writer but can't? They uh, have to choose something else. Lots of people want to be writers or singers or whatever, and they can't. And so they have to go out and do something else. They become a teacher or a lawyer. And they didn't really want to do it. They did. And some of them worked as hard as you. And then it just I got that story published. I'm a good writer. Why should I have to go around and watch other people doing what I want? To have it rubbed in my face every second of every day. And, and, and then with friends and girls. I mean, I'm 25 and I live at home and my mom's my best friend. How fucking pathetic is that? So why didn't you move out? I couldn't. Why not? I quit my job. Why couldn't you get a new one? I told you. I didn't want to do some stupid crap. Well, don't you think that's a reason you felt so bad about yourself? That you were letting your mom do everything for you? It wasn't her fault. But... It wasn't on. her fault, okay? What about your dad? Do you... Jesus, what do you... Do you... Why do you always want to blame someone else? I'm not trying to blame anyone, but you keep telling me that other people made you do it, so I'm just trying to figure out who exactly that is. Did you ever talk to your dad after he left? He took me to dinner once, after college, told me I should give up this writing crap and get a real job. And then he asked me to split the check. And you were closer when you were younger? He was always working. Your mom said you went hunting with him before the divorce. He made me. Was that the first time you used a gun? Kevin nods. You used some of his guns at the mall, right? paper said that it's not like that were you trying to send him a message it's not about guns how could it not be about guns if it wasn't a gun it would have been something else but you wouldn't have killed as many people i would have found a way but this <laughs> guy in china stabbed 20 kids at school he didn't need a gun that's do... not the same what about you you didn't have a gun right i guess not did you like it hunting no i mean it was like killing them to kill them we didn't eat them or anything. It was just for fun. And that bothered you? They were just standing there going about their lives and BAM! We just just blew them away. So what changed? You didn't like hunting, guns, and now something must have changed. Yeah. I watched movies and played video games. You think so? God, don't you get it? You can take away the guns and the movies, and it won't matter. Why? Because that's not the reason. So what is the reason? Aren't you fucking listening? Because no one cares. No one would say yes. 
Because no one would take two seconds out of their day to even just... I care. Once you get what you want, you'll leave too. What do you think that, that I want? I don't know. But I can't just care about you. I can't just want to help you. That's not how the world works. That's a sad way to see the world. That's the only way to see the world. What about Molly? Did she care about you? I don't know. Do you want to tell me about her? How, how did you meet her? We knew each other growing up. Went to church together, sang in the choir. She had this lisp. She always used to say, amazing grace. I love that. She moved back home after college and was just kind of starting to start talking on Facebook. And then she was just like everything I'd been waiting for. She was really smart and pretty. We had like everything in common. And she was the first girl, the, the only girl that I really liked that said yes. She did this thing with her face. She... Scrunched it up when she got really happy. The first time I kissed her, I just remember staring at her face. She had the biggest smile. I mean, I, I thought that was it. That all the pain, all those years had been for something. Even if everything else was, was crap, I, I, I still had her. We did everything together. We, we read all my stories. I, I loved her. And then just like out of the blue, she started taking longer to write back. She was always busy. So finally I asked her, and she said she didn't feel it. Oh, such bullshit. I was like, we did all this stuff, and there's no way you could have done that if you didn't feel it. What did she say? That she never really liked me that way. She thought if she kept trying, maybe she would, but she never did. And that was it. She just left. I read this article about a guy who lost half his face in a car accident, his eyes, his nose. He just got married. How pathetic is that? A guy with no face can find someone, but I can't. Why do you think that? Because there's something wrong with me. Haven't you been listening? It's always the same, every time. Every girl I've ever dated, they're, they're all the exact same thing. I, all said the exact same thing. They, they don't like me like that. They don't feel it. How can I make them feel it? How can, how can I make someone love me? Sometimes things don't work out, Kevin. Even when people, two people love each other, even if you get what you want, it's not going to stay that way. Sometimes you wake up and everything you had is gone. Just like that. No one is happy all the time. I was never happy. But you just Not said, once. Stop it. Bad things happen to everyone. What matters is what you do afterwards. How you deal with it. You can't just give up on as soon I as things get... I didn't give up. I kept writing. I kept trying to make friends. But you only wanted things your way. It was either all or nothing, but that's not how. I sent her an email after we broke up that I would be friends, whatever she wanted. What did she say? That she was happy with her life, how it was, without me in it. Not exactly Sunflower, huh? Was that the thing that set you off? Molly, just stop, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm only... done. Kevin stands up. I want to go back. Kevin. You don't want to help me? You want to use me? That's not true. So, lie to me. So I'll, so I'll... I'm not lying. Uh, come on. You tried to blow up your school? I did. You're normal. You're not like me. You're, some God... You're not some goddamn monster who... Why are you working here? I 
Fine. Kevin gets up, goes towards the door. My wife, she left me. You said you weren't married. I said I didn't have a family. Things were tough between us. She thought that moving here, that it would change things. But it didn't. And one day I woke up and all her stuff was gone. Her clothes, pictures, just like that. I was 50 (laughs) and I had nothing. I almost... I thought maybe if I came here, I could help people who felt the same way. What happened that morning, Kevin? Did something set you off? Come on. You want to talk about the truth? Let's do it. Why did you walk into that mall? I don't know. Really? Do you really believe that? You want to know what I think? I think you had some of the things you wanted. You got a story published. People asked you to do things. You had Molly. I think your problem was your perspective, how you saw things, that everyone had wronged you in some way. No. People have jobs they like. They have friends. No one cared about me. No one ever tried to help me or went out of their way for me. But people don't do that, Kevin. Maybe they should, but they don't. No, no. Even on Facebook. I would wish people a happy birthday, and they couldn't even do that for me. They couldn't even take two seconds and say, Hey, man, happy birthday. I mean, I go online, and everyone's talking about this great stuff that's happening to them. They're having kids. They're getting married. Their book's getting published. And everything in my life is total crap. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? But don't you see? That's just the image they're projecting. A lot of them are unhappy just like you. But no, no. Everything I've done has been rejected everywhere. No matter what I do or how hard I try, and no one will So that makes it okay? No. It's okay to go into the mall? You get no, rejected that's enough? not... You're not, you're not listening to me. why did you do it? I didn't want to. They... If you didn't want to, then why, Nathan? If you knew it was wrong... Wait, what? You just called me Nathan. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I said... Who's uh, Nathan? No one. I meant Kevin. Who? I called you Kevin. Have you been writing since you've been here? I can't. Because of your uh, head? They won't give me a pen. I'm afraid of what I'll do with it. Do you want one? No one cares what I want. Palmer goes to his desk, pulls open a drawer, takes out a green crayon. Here. A crayon? I'm not allowed to give you a pen. Yeah, just like you're not allowed to talk to me, right? Do you want it or not? Fuck you. Palmer puts the crayon down in front of his desk. He takes out a pen. You want a pen? Here. Take it. Kevin doesn't. Take it. Palmer puts the pen down on the desk. He looks at the door, nervous. He shouldn't be doing this. If someone finds out... Kevin stands up, goes to the desk, and takes it. I've got some paper here, too. Palmer searches through the drawers. Kevin stands over him. It's too close, like Kevin can't understand the concept of personal space. Kevin looks down at the pen in his hand. Palmer doesn't see this. A moment of danger. After a second, Palmer finally digs out a small pad. He hands it to Kevin. Kevin goes back to his chair. He looks at the pen and paper. It's like a reunion with an old friend. Go ahead. Write. Kevin looks down at the paper. 
After a few seconds, he starts scribbling away. Palmer sits at his desk, watching, observing. Kevin continues writing. After a few beats, Kevin looks up, sees Palmer staring at him. Palmer tries to look away, but he's caught. Kevin goes back to writing for a minute or two. Then... So who's Nathan? No one. I told you. I thought we were being honest. It was a mistake. Who is he? Kevin puts the pen and pad down, threatening to leave. Fine. Then I'm... I'm I'm patient. Here? No. And I can't talk about other patients. Why do I I remind you of him? You don't. Then why did you call me... Kevin. You mean Nathan. Stop it! You just remind me of him, okay? Why? You... You have a lot of the same problems. Like what? Social troubles. Uh, spiraling of grievances. Did you help him? I tried. What happened? I don't know. I stopped seeing him. Why? If you didn't get better, why did you stop? Okay. Did he do something? Look. Did he kill himself? Was he the one who tried to blow up his school? That's why you're here, isn't it? No one would hire you after that. No, that's not what happened. If you couldn't even stop him from... He didn't do it, okay? It was me. What are you writing? I don't know. Is it a story or... I'm just writing. A few more beats. Palmer lets Kevin continue writing. So, Jeb, was that how he felt? That he just couldn't take it anymore? Just stop, all right? I'm done. This is going to be our only time to talk. If you don't talk to me now... You're not going to get your answer. There is no answer. There's always been something wrong with me. Since I was a kid, no matter what I tried to... That's not true. Then then why did I do it? No one... One of my stories? Who cares? You did. People are starving to death, and, and I'm unhappy because no one wants some stupid stories because I don't have friends. That's fucking pathetic. I could understand why you'd feel that way. What about you? You don't have a family. Your dad's not here, so what's stopping you this time? I'll tell you why. Because Nathan was fucked up, and you're not. Nathan knew it was wrong, but he didn't care. He didn't do anything right his whole life. One failure after another. He was a loser. A little, insignificant piece of shit. But he couldn't take being an insignificant piece of shit. So he was going to do something about it. Something everyone would remember, no matter how terrible it was. You don't know what it's like. You'll never know what it's like, no matter how much you talk to me. You want to know what I think? why I think you came here, Kevin? Most people who try to commit suicide and survive... They hate themselves for trying it. They're happy they're alive. Well, I think you woke up in that hospital and you realized what you'd done and you hated yourself. For three weeks, you've been sitting in that cell hating yourself, wishing you could take it back, wishing it would go away, wishing you were dead. You know, no one made you do it. You chose to do it. But you can't admit that because what does that make you? How can you be a good person when you killed 17 I innocent know, people? I know, that's not... So you keep telling yourself you didn't have a choice. Just like before, just like your whole life, nothing was your fault. Nothing was ever your fault. They made you do it. They, they did make But that's do- a load of crap. You know it's a load of crap. 
No one made you do anything. You chose to do it. You were angry. You were hurt, just like millions of other people. We all wish that someone would love us like we wanted, that we had better friends, like more friends, that we got to do something we love. But you were special. You weren't going to be like That's that. That's not the... You weren't going to take it. Out. You weren't going to take it. You were going to show us, show everyone how special you really were. That's why you're here, right? That's what you want. Permission to tell the truth. Well, here's the truth, Kevin, so go ahead. Tell yourself. You said you could help me. Help you what? Feel better? Tell you it's okay? It's not okay. It will never be okay. No matter what happened, no matter what people did to you. No, you're not, you're not listening. I've been listening this whole time to your excuses, your bullshit. You know why people didn't help you? Because you didn't want their help. You just wanted to keep telling yourself you were the victim, that everyone was against No, you. I... Your mom loved you. That wasn't enough. You got a story published. That wasn't enough. You dated girls. You got a job. But nothing ever was good enough You're for not you. even... And you couldn't kill yourself because then you'd be a victim again. And you weren't going to be the victim. Not this time. Those people, their, their families, your, your family, and, and they were going to be the victim. No, that's not why they I... They were going to suffer just like you. You were going to ruin their lives, ruin everyone's lives for not taking your stories or going out with you. No. For picking on you, for making fun of you. No, that's not. You were going to show them, right? What else were you supposed to do? You were going to make them sorry, whatever it took. Even if you had to kill 17 people or 20 or 100. Just But stop. what did these people do to you? What was killing them going to do? What was killing anyone going to do? I had to. You had to? You had to walk into that mall and kill 17 people because they made you? Who made you? The girl in the dress store, did she make you? What about the old man you shot? Did he make Stop. you? Stop. The kids buying ice cream. What about Stop. them? Did they make you? Who made you, Kevin? Why did you do it? Why? Please, just... Palmer why? goes to him, Please, grabs him. just tell me. Why? Because, because then you'll know why Nathan did it? Why your son did it? Yeah. You come to my cell last night, say you wanted to talk. No one wants to talk to me. The guards won't say anything. The doctors wish I was dead, but you. I thought maybe you wanted to, to write a book, get on TV. Most people do what I did, don't survive. Their fingers don't slip when they put the gun to their head. But you were different. You really cared, I could tell. Not like Saverson or Goldfarb. So I come down here, and it makes sense. You tried to blow up your school. But then I realized there's no way you did it. I mean, after you go through with it, something like that, you're, you're, maybe you're lying. Or you're talking about one of your patients. But you kept asking about my mom, telling me about your dad, how he, how he saved his son. I saw the picture in your desk when you gave me the pad. You, a woman, a kid. That's why your wife left, right? After what he did? He didn't do it. Please don't lie to me. He tried to. The bomb went off by accident when he was building it. And you thought if you came here, if you talked to these people, you might understand. But you never did, right? And then I came along and finally, you would know. And if you helped me, if you saved me. Is it true what you said? That you're not allowed to talk to me? Palmer nods. I won't tell. 
It doesn't matter. They'll find out. That's why it's our only time to talk, right? Well, at least you know. No one. There's nothing you could have done. No. I was his father. I was supposed to know. You couldn't have stopped him. He no tried matter to how tell much me you the day before he You wanna know what happened? That morning? I woke up and something was different. I just knew this this was it. That I couldn't take it anymore. I wouldn't take it anymore. Not one more day of My mom told me she loved me right before she went to work. She made me breakfast. She kissed me. She asked me if everything was okay. And the second she left, I went to the basement and got my dad's guns. Part of me was telling myself not to do it, but I felt like I, I had to. I had to take that pain and get it out to make them feel it. I went to one of the back doors at the mall, but it was locked. So I tried another. And then I just went through the front door. And there was this girl I went to high school with. And she was just standing there waiting for someone. I, I don't know if she recognized me. And I took out the guns and I couldn't look when I pulled the trigger. I closed my eyes. I just kept squeezing over and over. And for that first second, it felt so good. And then I heard it, the screaming, the yelling, the crying. So I opened my eyes and I saw them. And I realized what I'd done. I had actually gone through with it, that I... So I put the gun to my head and... You're right. I wish I was dead. I should be dead. If you knew it was wrong, then why did you do it? Why did Nathan because do it? Because they made me. You really think that, Kevin? After everything we've talked about, you really think that's why you did it? Because they made you? You're right. No one made me. I chose to. I wanted to. I wanted to be something, to be... I wanted everything they promised me, and I wanted it to be for something good. I really did, but if I couldn't get it that way, I was, I was going to do whatever it took. I wasn't a nobody. I'm not a nobody. And neither was Nathan. And you're lucky he didn't survive. What? You know what my life is like now? Every day for a few seconds, I wake up and I forget where I am, what I did. And then I wish I could just have that gun for one more second. Your life doesn't have to be over. You can tell your story and help prevent Don't you get it? No one would listen. Why not? They... They want to say it's about guns, because we're crazy. Because if they saw why we did it, they'd know there's, there's going to be more of us. 
and no one wants to hear that. But we didn't want to hurt them. We didn't want to hurt anyone. We, did, we just wanted those things to be happy, to be part of it. You love Nathan. I can tell. That's all you could have done. Kevin stands up. He takes the piece of paper on his chair, the one he was writing on earlier. He folds it up and gives it to Dr. Palmer. Can you give this to my mom? Okay. Can I go back to my cell now? Palmer looks at Kevin for a moment, then he goes to the door and opens it. We're done, officer. Falco enters and looks at Palmer. Then he glares at Kevin and slaps the handcuffs on. Kevin looks at Palmer, then Falco pushes Kevin out of the office. Palmer stands there for a few moments. Then he opens the note and begins reading it. After a few beats, his eyes jump up. He goes to his desk, picks up the green crayon, and realizes that the pen he gave Kevin is missing. He runs to the door, about to call out, but then stops himself. He looks at the crayon, then back into the office. A few beats. A decision. Dr. Palmer folds up the letter and stands there for a few moments as the lights fade. End of play. Checkpoint Rainbow 
Katie Hartman, thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and what a beautiful play, too. Yes. Um, so we're we're doing a, like a little quick reset because we're doing something different. Every episode is different. Um, and our wonderful playwright David is um, actually in LA. Couldn't fly out here because he's that popular of an actor. Um, so he's there, but he's calling in, and, and he really wants to physically be here. <laughs> and I think we're with him. Can you hear us, David? I can hear you. Yay. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Great. We can all hear you. It's great. Awesome. <laughs> so I think we should begin by asking you the question that we usually ask at the beginning of the show of all of our playwrights, which is, uh, what would the world be missing if it didn't have this play? I think the, the world would be missing, perhaps, can you hear me? Yes? Yeah. Everything's yeah. going well? Yep. I think the world would be missing a different perspective on people who commit these kind of acts, and I also think that that mentality also applies to other violent phenomena such as terrorism and things like that. So often we just hear uh, people who commit mass shootings or terrorists referred to as monsters or people who have extreme religious fanaticism. I think that even underlying that religious fanaticism can often be this social isolation and disappointment. If you look at the history of a lot of terrorists, especially in Europe, who are homegrown, uh, a lot of them fell into Islam after having a lot of personal and professional failures, and that was something they could kind of grasp onto and make their mark on the world. 
So I don't think this is a perspective we hear a lot when we talk about people who commit acts of violence. And that's, that was the motivation of the play, just to try and open up a conversation about what are the people like who do these things. And we talked, uh, you know, when we were putting together the reading, yeah, some director said, oh, this you know, puts the character in too sympathetic of a light. And, and I personally don't feel any sympathy for what he did, but I feel empathy for their pain. And in, in a way, I, you sort of feel that even about people who do terrible things. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so was there a specific incident, and there's been so many in the last few years of mass shootings. Um, for a while, it did seem that every other day we heard about a mass shooting yes. and it became kind of, you know, we became so desensitized to it that we'd be like, of course there was another mass shooting. Um, so was there a specific incident that made you like actually then put pen to paper to write broken? There wasn't a specific incident. It was more a matter of watching all of these keep unfolding. And in my mind, these people all fit a similar pattern. We also talked about in the lead up to the reading about casting, that this people worried that it could be a white male, you know, too many white males. And as we talked about, that was kind of the point of the play that this white male entitlement to what they regard as a happy life seems to be, at least seems to me, to be a huge part of the phenomenon. So it was seeing all of these and in my mind thinking they all had a similar profile and it was pretty rewarding because I wrote the first draft of the play just based on my own intuition and then when I started to do research and when people would send me articles, so much of that confirmed what was in the play. Like right before we went into production of, of the workshop we did uh, in New York that, that Dina worked on was the Elliot Rogers shooting. And I'm not sure where I'm kept, but it was at uh, a UC school. And just watching that video, it was crazy. Like our director sent me notes and said, it's just like watching Kevin. It was almost all the same grievances. So it wasn't one in particular, but they all just seemed to be so similar. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm talking a lot, but I'd like bringing this up when I talk about the play. I don't know if you all know Assassins, but there's this amazing imagined scene between uh, John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald. And it's basically a 10-minute play. I think it's one of my favorite pieces of dramatic works ever written. And I almost didn't like this play because I said, well, in a way, that scene says exactly what this play does about why uh, Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy. So I don't think it's, it's even a new phenomenon. I think it's that just middle class, you know, once you have those basic needs met, you start looking for the next things, you know, relationship, career fulfillment, people that like you. Uh, and I think not getting that sparks these feelings in a lot of people. And then the big question is why, what separates the people like Kevin and 
we hope you as well from all the people who might feel that way, but wouldn't lash out and wouldn't do something terrible about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I don't know if the uh, incident that you were referencing was at UC Santa Barbara. I and I lived yeah, there a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah I I lived in. Went to the sorority houses. Yeah, I lived in Isla Vista, and I had friends who lived in many of the places that that shooter went to, and so I I definitely was thinking of that when I first read this play, and then when I was hearing it tonight, I was like, ah, oh, this sounds like the kid from that shooting because he basically said so many of the things that Kevin in the play says about like. Well, no one noticed me, and no one loved me, and therefore I was going to, you know, like, kill them, basically, exactly. to, like, make them love me or know and, me. And as I said, it was, it was unbelievable, because that, that happened literally, I think, a month or two before we started rehearsing out. It was well after the script had been written, so it was, it was really, you know, shocking to see something out there that explicitly since he made that video. Mm-hmm. Um, is, I just have a, a quick question. Is Kevin, uh, um, like a millennial? Like, would he like be, you know, in his twenties? Like what, what do you envision? Well, he, he is 25, but like the setting, the time, the, sorry, the, the time of when the play takes place, is it now or is it like, what, what year do you think it is? That's interesting. I, uh, you, you would have think I would have thought about that more, but I would say maybe said a few years ago, maybe 2013-ish, 2012, 2013, because I feel like he is of that generation. And uh, it was interesting, a lot of people kept saying, well, he says he's 25, but he sounds so much younger. And that was... That was kind of intentional. That as we as we were talking about with Eric, this guy who he might you know he might be in his early to mid twenties, but he's kind of been socially stunted. So you know he it's sort of by design that he you know obviously there's something very wrong with this person. So he's not behaving how you would expect a twenty five year old to behave. But that's also because he does something that the you know that leads him to doing this awful thing that the normal 25-year-olds would not do. But that's a really great question about the time frame. I do think it would be it set a few years earlier to put him in that generation. Uh, and I'm a, a little older than that, so I don't know that generation. And, uh, the, although you know, this, it seems to be similar to people who are, you know, coming into their 20s now to me, but I'm, you know, not in my early 20s now, so... I, I wouldn't know that as probably well as some people who are there. Right. I mean, I just asked that. Qu- I just asked that question mostly because um, I feel like a lot of you know millennials we get a lot of shit about um, how we're entitled and yeah. how you know we um, expect a a participation trophy for everything. Exactly. And to um, an extent, I do understand that. But again, that's the people, that's on the people who raised us. Like, mom, dad, grandma, that's y'all fault. So one, (laughs) don't put that on us. So I I asked that question about if Kevin was a millennial, because do you think that Kevin and his thinking is so, um, 
it's just so it i mean it it does mirror every mass shooter and what they say about this like sense of of like gross entitlement that you know that if i'm nice to girls you know the U uc davis shooter exactly. if i'm nice to girls they're going to have sex with me and if i um do xyz this is what x um one two three will happen so do you think that it's kevin is a product of being a millennial do you think it's just like him and this skewed um i guess the skewed view that we have about society and and what we expect um and demand of other people i, I mean i think it's a it's a combination of both. I think it's exactly what you said, at least for me. You know, we, I was constantly told growing up, you're successful if you make money. You're successful if you have a nice house with a wife. You're successful if you, if, you know, if you have a lot of friends and you have career success. And then we're also told if you work hard, if you put in the work, anything is possible. And obviously we're all... You know, see, we're, we're in a field where sometimes you can have more talent than anyone, and it and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. And that, you know, that's just part of life. Understanding that sometimes you can do everything right, and things just don't work out, and that's just part of being you know human. I don't know if you guys are, know the musical uh, "Merrily We Roll Along," which mm -hmm. I love. Mm -hmm. There's a great documentary that just came out about the process, and they were interviewing Hal Prince uh, about it. And the documentary traced the life of what happened to all these performers who were 17, 18, 19, and were in a Sondheim musical right at the beginning of their careers. And Hal Prince said, well, uh, the, the musical is about, the Merrily We Roll Along is about how some people get lucky and get the breaks and other people don't. And I expected that's what would also happen, not just to the characters and to the play, but the cast. And then when he's talking about uh, the documentary, he says, and that is what happened. And, and you, you know, see all these people who started out together, some people got that audition, they got that job, and other people were just as talented or just as hard, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. So I do think it, it is a product of being raised in America because this is really, uh, I did talk about the things in Europe, but they do have similar cultures, but this mass shooting phenomenon is really, when you look at it, a largely a American, American phenomenon. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is what we were constantly, you know, bred and told that everyone deserves their moment to be exceptional. And I think Kevin chooses his moment to be exceptional in a horrible way because it's the only way after failing and everything else he can figure out how to you know make his mark yeah um as, as you were exploring it as as you were writing and thinking about this play what correlations to i mean you mentioned earlier people who turn to uh terrorism or suicide bombings uh what right. What kind of relations or psyche did you see in the crossover between that and why Kevin did this mall shooting? It's, it's interesting. So I used to 
work in politics before, you know, I came back to theater and playwriting, and I'm still interested in that. And part of my day job, you know, is working for a website that covers these things. And it's really remarkable if you look at the stories about so many of these homegrown terrorists in in Europe, almost none of them, even if they came from countries where, you know, that were a majority Islam, almost none of them were practicing uh, Muslims, let alone, you know, so inspired by it that they twisted it and used it to justify their violence. They weren't even practicing. And then a lot of them were either petty criminals or people who had been frustrated in their personal relationships. They had trouble with girls or their professional relationships, their careers didn't work out. They were floundering. A lot of them were delivering pizzas, doing menial jobs. And then if you look at their profiles, they grasp onto this crazy radical version of Islam as a way to give meaning and purpose to their life because they were so unhappy elsewhere. Uh, so, and again, it's a similar thing. If you read up about a lot of these people, it, not everyone, but you know, a lot of them fall into a similar pattern. And then we hear, oh, the problem is, you know, religion. And yes, they're twisting their, you know, religion. And people have this, cra- you know, crazy version of Islam that they're using to try and you know, recruit these people, but a lot of these people only come to this after they feel like something is missing in their life or they have such unhappiness that this gives them a sense of belonging. So I I do Mm -hmm. see sort of a a, similar parallel so it doesn't apply just to mass shootings. No, I mean, for sure. Um, Well, I guess this brings us to the question that we've been asking Playwrights, um, so you have 60 seconds. Um, what would you say to um, Trump? It's after his 100 days. You survived that, kind of. Uh, well, I, if you Google my name and Donald Trump, you will, you will see exactly what I think of, uh, of him. So... It's just very, so my, my background, I don't know if we've discussed this, guys, but so I actually work in uh, the White House for George Bush. So I think I'm exceptionally qualified to you know, say that I've just been, it's literally, it's literally been very difficult for me to see Donald Trump even in the Oval Office. I mean, yeah, for the first, I've never really been worried about the future of the country before, and not just for our security, but just, you know, what does it mean that America could elect someone like that? To me, America was always special to me because we had never had a person of this character and intention in the Oval Office. And my political career, career was finished, you know, when I published my first article saying this. But it's just, I think it's just very dangerous times. And the, the best thing to do is just to keep being vigilant, active, and keep speaking out. Because when people keep speaking out, stop speaking out, that's when people become complacent and 
you know, they think they can get a, you know, get away with the things that some of the things they're trying to get away with. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, the hardest question of our interview that we ask our playwrights is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Well, I had, I had this fantastic cereal. I'm trying to find the box now. I highly recommend. It's called One Degree. They have, it's like, the, I'm reading the box. It's called the Veganic Sprouted Brown Rice Crisps. So it, the, it tastes really good. <laughs> this is radio, but you can't see Ivan's face right now. <laughs> That sounds He's like, so healthy. <laughs> you so say I, healthy I in the most disgusted way. One degree. There is, the food's good, and they're very socially and environmentally conscious. Well, you eat that, and I'm going to have bacon. Yeah, butter and, and, and eggs. And before and, I go, I just wanted to thank you guys, one, for doing this by phone, because I'm so happy that I got to participate in this it kind of killed me you know that i wouldn't be able to you know be part of this process and then two for just finding this play i still remember the email i got from you a year ago oh we found your play we like it we want to do it uh and i've you know i've listened to a lot of the podcasts uh and i just have uh grown to know both of you guys and I'm huge fans of yours and I'm really really thrilled to be part of this and I just wanted to thank Gina as well who's a fantastic director and a really great friend and then also thank you Dina who I've never met they did a a fantastic job and it was it's really a thrill and I say this without any pretension or thing it's I'm really honored to be part of it I love what you're doing the kind of work you're doing, and that's so neat. I'm a huge podcast fan. I just love trying to find something different rather than just, you know, hosting a play reading. And I'm just really, really thrilled to be involved. So thank you guys so much. Oh, you're so nice. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. And while we're being thankful, um, we would like to thank a couple other people who make this podcast possible. Um, One of them is our audio engineer. Um, Fernando Castillo. Um, We'd also like to thank our social media manager, Sienna Gonzalez. Um, Cloud City for hosting us again. Always, always. Thank y'all. Our wonderful cast. And then our wonderful... Oh, no, before we go to our musical guests, we want to thank you at home for listening and our audience for being here tonight. And our playwright, David, again, and again, our director. Thank you all. Thank you all. And we're going to turn it over to Andrew Lynch one more time. Thank you so much. I'm going to do a couple quick songs here. Margie eats a baguette. While drinking coffee While listening to Italian opera While staring at paintings by French impressionists She's trying to feel something She's trying to feel something She eats bacon Wildly while drinking 
was staring at paintings like magic eye pictures that will one day reveal themselves. Her mania reaches a height of pure violence, and she imagines herself as a lion. Prowling around the savannah, ripping out the throat of her husband who is a gazelle who chews too slowly and one more <laughs> These songs are both from uh, a, uh, a play called Leap in the Net Will Appear uh, by playwright Hannah Porter. So this is, uh, excuse me. This is the final song of that show uh, called A Prayer. In this room there an ocean of longing in this room there is a well of forgetting there is a rule that is breaking there is your hand on a lampshade there your hand a light is turning out a light is turning out the darkness the darkness the light is turning Thank you, Parsnip Ship. Thank you, everyone, for, for listening. This has been great. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now. And get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org. Because only together we rise.